This is the Darcy Jerome Podcast, episode 33. Today, my guest is Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. We're going to be talking about his platform, immigration, and the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Mad Max Bernier, welcome back to the Darcy Jerome podcast. How are things? Great, great. Thank you, Darcy, for having me today. And um, it's always a nice conversation. So I'm looking forward for that conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, I've been slacking off a bit lately on my my podcasting. So I'm I'm glad uh, you were able to make it on to to. Uh, to you know, a, a, a big name like Maxime Bernier will make up uh, make up the difference <laughs> in me not releasing episodes over the past month. But um, for the most part, I wanted to have you on to walk through your platform a little bit, um, and uh, you know, and just and just see where the conversation goes from there. Um, I guess first of all, you know, one of the one of the things. I like about you, Max, is uh, you were kind of given this this nickname, Mad Max. And, uh, it was, of course it's in, uh, it's based on the Mad Max movies because some people are, you know, scared of your ideas and, and think, uh, we're going to be living in some post-apocalyptic <laughs> war zone afterwards. But, uh, you, you know, what, what always impressed me was you just, uh, you embraced that name and you kind of ran with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we did that, um, I believe that was uh, during my leadership contest uh, with the Conservative Party of Canada in uh, 2017. As you know, I didn't win with 49% of the vote, but uh, for me, that was a relief and very pleased that we created the People's Party in 2018. And uh, But at that time, uh, some uh, mainstream journalists were saying, oh, Mad Max, and they tried to ridiculously make, make fun at me with that. And I used that. I said, yes, I'm mad. I'm mad because these huge deficit. I'm mad because the federal government is interfering in provincial jurisdictions. I'm mad because we are not respecting taxpayers. And so I did a speech about that Mad Max in Toronto during the leadership contest. And, uh, you know, uh, I believe that with the platform that we have at the PPC, it's a bold reforms. Uh, we know that we need to do these uh, reforms if we want to regain our country. So for the establishment politicians, it's a kind of a, a freedom revolution. And, uh, and they may call me uh, Mad Max because I'm mad about uh, what is happening in our country today. So, yeah, that's the, and I'm using that. Actually, as you know, I have a show on YouTube, Ron Ball and social media every two Thursday uh, at 7 p.m., uh, Montreal time called the Mad Max show. And we had a discussion and I'm taking questions. So the next one would be not next week, but the week after. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, so, you know, one of the things you're kind of known for, um, is, uh, is your immigration policy. And you've got a lot of, you've gotten a lot of, uh, criticism because of that. Um, because you're basically the only um i don't want to say the only but out of out of most of the parties 
um, you, you would be one of the only voices that's really uh, interested in lowering the levels of immigration. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that's part of our platform. And as you may know, Darcy, uh, we don't change uh, policies at every election like the establishment political parties. They're doing polling and focus group and they're telling Canadians what they want to hear uh, at each election. For us, we have a platform. It will always be the same. And I said that at our first election in 2019, that we need to have sustainable immigration. We need to say no to mass immigration. And that's what is happening right now. We have mass immigration. And we need to have people that will come here and share our values. And we need to go back to what we did a uh, long time ago, an interview with, uh, with uh, uh, immigrants and asking them uh, their values and, uh, you know, being sure that people will come here and share our values. You know, a man, a man and woman has the same uh, rights and everybody is equal before the law, respecting the rule of law. So, and we said we must have a maximum of 150,000 uh, newcomers every year. And 75% of them must be skilled immigrants. So a person that will come here and will have a job because a Canadian entrepreneur wasn't able to find a Canadian for that job. So it's easier for that person to integrate our society. And also, you know, they are participating, participating in our society. society. And, and uh, But when I said that, Darcy, in 2019, that was not popular. So that's a, a proof that we're not doing pop politics because an idea is popular or not. For us, we believe that we have the best idea for the future of this country. And the more we speak about our ideas, the more popular they will become. And actually, that's happening. And that's happening on immigration because uh, a month ago, uh, Trudeau did his announcement about, you know, mass immigration, half a million people every year starting in 2025. And the same people, the same journalists were uh, telling me names uh, in 2019 because of our immigration policy. Now, they, they are, and I was surprised about it. Now, you know, the Global Mail is saying the same thing. We are, we are not racist, but we believe that half a million people, it's a little bit too much. You know, we have a housing crisis and prices for renting is going up and you know our healthcare system is not uh, efficient and that will be a huge cost for our society we may review uh, that number so uh, and uh, there now i think it would be very difficult for them at the next election to say that i'm a racist because i want fewer uh, immigrants and so, yes, that's an important part of our platform. And I'm looking forward at the next election because I believe strongly that the immigration will be, uh, will be part of the national debate. You know, like at the last election, it was uh, the COVID hysteria and all the mandates. I believe that it can be the economy and immigration at the next, uh, at the next election. And we are the only national political party that is arguing for fewer immigrants. The conservatives, the liberals, the NDP, they are all for mass immigration like the liberals. So it's a huge distinction between us and these establishment political parties. Yeah, yeah. So now forgive me for maybe being a bit ignorant on the issue because I've never, um, I've never, you know, spent any time in parliament. 
Um, but where, like, where would somebody like the conservatives or the liberals or even your party, like, where would that number come from that they, like, how do you decide that 100,000 or 500,000 is the right number. I mean, I like I, I imagine you're engaging economists and getting feedback from other people on those types of things. Yeah, there's no scientific number like the liberals today. Why half a million people? Why 465,000 today? Uh, you know, it's because they want more people that will come here. Uh, and actually, usually immigrants are voting for uh, the liberals, and also they're going to, 41% of them are going to big uh, cities like Toronto and Vancouver. So there's no scientific uh, ana analysis about, uh, about the number. And for us, we said, you know, the average under Stephen Harper, when, we, when the conservative, and I was part of them, when we were in a government, that was about 200,000 a year. And now, you know, we said, you know, 150, but the, the majority of them, 75% of them must be skilled immigrants, like I said. Today, the ratio is the opposite. We have 465,000 this year, and 25% of them are skilled immigrants. So what I'm saying is 75% of them are coming on the reunification of family and are refugees that are crossing our border illegally at the Roxham Road, 35,000 of them last year. And it will be the same thing this year. So we need to have people that will come here and help to build our economy. So why we are saying 150? Because we believe that for our economy, it would be a good number, but we were ready to review that uh, when the time will come. Yeah, yeah, right on. I mean, I, I guess if I was to, like, I can't give a good, uh, if I was to play devil's advocate, I don't have a good defense of, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau's policy at all. I guess, you know, if I was to give you the best kind of uh, libertarian argument, I mean, it, it would be something like, is immigration not something that should uh, just clear on the market like, like other things? Yes, you have a point there. That's why we are saying that, you know, uh, the majority must be 75% in line with the market. If a Canadian entrepreneur is not able to find a Canadian for a job, he or she must be able to go outside the country and find that person. And, and that person must have the right to have their immediate family. So I'm saying about kids uh, and also their husband or wife. But now for the conservative and the liberals, the uh, the the family is the the huge family. So now they have the right to bring their uncle, their their brothers, their sisters, their mom and dad, so granddad and grandmom. So and they're coming here. They don't have a job. And actually, Trudeau is saying we need more immigrants because uh, you know our population is aging. But, you know, people coming on the reunification of family, that's not young people. So the impact on the, uh, the, the, the impact on uh, aging, uh, the population aging with immigration, uh, Statistic Canada did a study about that. Immigration is not helping to, uh, to, to have uh, uh, our, um, 
our population uh, a little bit younger. So it's not helping. So that's why you're right. When we are saying 75% of uh, our immigrants must be skilled immigrants, economic immigrants, the base is the free market. And, and, and that, that's why, you know, we need to look at it. But right now, it's not the case with, with that, uh, with that number 465,000 this year. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Now, I guess, you know, if we go back, um, you know, to say like the, uh, Mulroney, um, administration back to that time frame when that, that was about the time when immigration really started heading on the the upward trajectory. And some of the arguments then were uh, that we were battling all of these types of unfunded liabilities in our CPP and in our health care and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, it those bringing it, there's like the supply side and the demand side also, because the more people you bring in, to try and utilize them as a tax base, they're also putting demand pressures on those same institutions, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm sure if you look at it, when you have a skilled immigrants, an economic immigrants, that person will participate right now to the economy with their job and they will pay taxes right now. But if you look at the data today with that mass immigration, there's a cost the, the first five years for our society when you have, you know, reunification of family and refugees that are coming because we need to pay for them. You know, we want for us, we want fewer uh, immigrants, but we want we want to be able to take care of them. And right now, it's a huge cost on the society. Uh, our healthcare system is not efficient for Canadians. We have waiting uh, times for surgeries. We need to change that. And you're right. It's about, you know, supply and demand. And, and I'm looking at the crisis in housing sector. Uh, you cannot build uh, houses right now. It, it's it, to solve that. And I believe that the, the finance minister, uh, Minister Freeland was very honest uh, a year ago when she said it's mathematical. You know, he, you have more people that are coming and they need houses uh, and and we're going to build more houses. That's what Poliev is saying. And I'm saying the opposite. No, the impact, you can stop that right now by having fewer immigrants. And, uh, and I think that's the solution on the crisis that we are uh, actually that is in our country right now on our thing, on healthcare and all that. So, um, it's it's why we need to have that debate in this country, and uh, and I believe that the mainstream media will be more open at the next uh, general election when I will bring back that debate. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you brought up housing because I wanted to talk to you a bit about that. And so, outside of the um, the the pressures of an an, an increasing population, um, you know, there's a lot of other economic factors that that are playing into this and uh you know in the inflation is a big part of it the, the manipulation of interest rates you know i know you are quite well read in uh the austrian school of economics so like what are your thoughts on uh you know the crazy money printing and uh <laughs> and how are we going to get out of it yeah uh, i believe that we must do like sweden uh, uh, this 
presented a budget last November, and they said we need to fight that inflation. And the only way to fight that inflation is to balance our budget and have a surplus. And by the way, Sweden will have a surplus this year, this April. And uh, when you have a surplus, you, you, you're not asking your central bank to print money to buy your, your, your bonds. And so you have less money printing and you don't have inflation. So that's the solution. Here in Canada, if you look at the Bank of Canada, the Bank of Canada has an inflation target of 2%. The Bank of Canada likes inflation. They want 2% inflation every year. But Darcy, you know what? The last 10 years, starting in 2012 to 2022, with that 2% inflation target, we had 25% inflation over the last 10 years. That means that your dollar that you added to your pocket in 2012, now the value of that dollar is 80 cents. Inflation is a tax. It's a hidden tax. And it's uh, hurting everybody. And our purchasing power is going down. So, so now, uh, I, I will. Poliev said we must fight inflation. But for him, he agrees with the target of 2% inflation with the Bank of Canada. So Pierre Poliev is telling us that for the next 20, 10 years, we will have 25% inflation. So the way to fight inflation, first, you must say to the Bank of Canada, your inflation target must be 0%. Like that, we will keep our purchasing power. Everybody will be richer. And, and that's, the best, that's the, the, the best thing to do. Stop printing money out of thin air. And at the same time, if you are saying that to the Bank of Canada, and if that is the new policy for the Bank of Canada, you as a government will need to be fiscally responsible like Sweden. You will need to balance the budget. And that's part of our proposal. But to do that, you need to cut spending. You'll need to cut foreign aid. You'll need to cut corporate welfare. You'll need to cut uh, <clears throat> the money that we are giving to the UN to uh, fight climate change. But <clears throat> Poliev, on the other side, is saying, no, it's okay with that 2% inflation target. And by the way, I won't cut the budget. I will only cap the budget where he, he is right now. So Poliev is telling us that if you look at our budget in Canada before COVID, and after COVID, Trudeau increased the budget by $90 billion, nine zero. And for Poliev, it's okay. Poliev will cap that. Poliev wants to manage a big, fat government that will interfere in provincial jurisdiction and give money away to his pet, pet projects. So we will do the opposite. We will cut, we'll balance the budget, and, and that's the only way to fight inflation. And now, as you may know, this week, the Bank of Canada said, I won't increase the, infl the um, interest rate. But there, there, it's very, you know, these bureaucrats at the Bank of Canada, they are, they created that mess. And now if they increase the interest rate a little bit, they will create a recession. And if they don't, we will have that inflation at 6% for a couple of years. So we are paying by the inflation tax, 6%. That's the official, that's the official number, as you know, Darcy. The real one must be 10%. And, and, and we are paying with higher interest rate. 
And we may have, and I, I believe that it will happen, we'll have a recession. So it is a bad monetary policy and a bad fiscal policy. We need to change that. And we are the only national political party, again, that is having the real solution to uh, be able for Canadians to uh, keep their money in their pockets and, and, and fighting inflation. And like that, they will keep their purchasing power. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you worked in on uh, Parliament Hill. You, you were, you sat in there long enough. You know, uh, the amount of pushback you get anytime you want to try and, uh, cut a little bit of spending anywhere. It, it's, uh, and, and you get that from, uh, conservatives and from, and from liberals the, the same. Not all of those things are politically unpopular. Like, uh, cutting government to government foreign aid should not be, an unpopular position because most of the time we're, uh, you know, you're taking money from poor people in Canada and giving it to rich people in some, some other country. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and some of these countries have, uh, if we're being honest, d- despotic type leaders. So what, like, why is that an unpopular opinion in these other political parties? Because, you know, if you do that, the mainstream media will be against you. And I believe that Polyev now, because he's the leader of the Conservative Party, uh, he did speak like a conservative during the leadership contest because he understood that if he wants to be the leader, he, he, he needs to show to the conservative membership that is a, a real conservative. And, uh, and now his goal is to be prime minister and is going slowly to the left, like Utul, like Sheer. And so now he wants to please the mainstream media because he knows the importance of the mainstream media to be able to uh, speak to more Canadians and, and also all these interest groups. You know, if you're cutting uh, foreign aid, You'll have all these lobbyists in Ottawa that will lobby, speak to the media, and that will be in the media for a couple of days, bad media. And he doesn't want that. That's why he's saying, oh, I will cap the budget. So there's no reform there. And for me, you know, we, we, we will have the, the uh, authority and also the, uh, uh, we will be able to do that as a PPC government because I've been, I've been speaking about that for the last uh, four years. So we will have the legitimacy to implement that reform. And I hope uh, if a day I'm prime minister that I hope that we'll have some uh, protests in front uh, of Ottawa. Because if, if there's no protest, it's because I'm not doing what I said. But you need to have courage. You need to explain to the population. But for the conservative, they're looking at the poll right now and, and the focus group. But Polyev and Trudeau are not leaders. They are followers. They are following the trend. They are following the polls. For us, you know, if it's not popular or politically correct, we don't care. We, uh, you know, we believe that we know what is the best policies and we must try to to uh, have more people supported there. And I know it won't be popular uh, cutting foreign aid or cutting corporate welfare. You'll have all these big corporations that will come and say, oh, if you do that, I will lay off uh, uh, thousands of people, uh, blah, blah, blah. And you'll have the lobby from uh, 
member members of parliament where there's big investment from these big corporations and they will vote against that because it, they would think, oh, I need to keep my seat and if you are cutting corporate welfare, GM will uh, lay off, I don't know how many uh, thousand of people and blah, blah, blah. But you need to explain the policy. It may hurt short time, but it's for the great benefits on, on mid midterm and long term. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, and uh, I'm just thinking um, you you will be in Calgary in May. We're hosting the Capitalism and Morality Seminar in Calgary in May, May 20th. Um, we're really excited to to have you there. Do you know what uh, you're gonna what you're gonna be speaking about there? No, not right now. Uh, I'm looking at your speech, but it will be a, a great uh, announcement in line with our principles, individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect and fairness, and respecting the Constitution. So um, I'll have, I believe so, I'll do my best to have a very interesting speech. And I want to thank you for giving me that opportunity to be with you. What is the date again? It's uh, It's May 20th, Saturday, May 20th. I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. well. Let, let me say it here on record that uh, you don't have to pull any punches uh, with our <laughs> audience at, at this event. So uh, whatever, whatever uh, subjects that are not uh, popular or politically correct you want to talk about, you're free to go there. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I guess another big one that, uh, that you are kind of known for is your advocacy against the, uh, the dairy cartel. Okay. And now this is, I mean, this is just like kind of a uh, an issue that, um, you know, that that you're you're known for. But but I, I think in the bigger scheme of things, these kind of cartel problems or this crony capitalism, it, it permeates so many facets of Canadian politics. And and this is just the the dairy one is kind of the canary in the coal mine. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, you know, th that speaking about lobbies, uh, that lobby is very powerful in Ottawa. They have the support of every party, conservative, liberal, NDP, Bloc Québécois, uh, and they want to keep their privilege. Uh, so we're saying no. You know, if you want to fight inflation also, by the way, you need to dismantle that cartel. The dairy cartel increased the, the price of milk uh, uh, last year, you know, three times by 12%. So more than the, the official inflation. So they're not paying the inflation tax, these uh, producers. Uh, when it's, they just go and they had a meeting and they said, okay, we need to increase the price. And they're doing that. They control the production and they control the price. So we need to stop that. We need to have a real free market. And that's what we want. It's, uh, it's not popular with them, but I believe that it can be very popular with the uh, general population. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, but in there, can you share some other examples of where this type of, the type of, uh, cartelization of these industries, like, I believe even the the maple syrup industry has something similar, and of course, yeah. So, so the, the, it's a legal cartel, I must say, uh, and because by legislation, so it's uh, on 
the cardel is for milk, poultry, and eggs, and also maple syrup. So if you look at uh, the production of beef, of uh, other agriculture uh, goods, they're under the free markets. And, and they have to be uh, productive, they have to be good, and they, they are able to export their products, uh, beef and all these other products that they are producing in Canada, except them, except the producers under the cartel, because for the cartel, they have to produce for the Canadian market and they cannot export what it's, it, it's only for the Canadian market and you cannot import milk from another country. There's huge tariff. Uh, against that. So that's why they have a, a market and they control that market. They can increase the price. So I, I want them to be, uh, to be competitive like uh, other producers that are not under that cartel. If that's good for the beef producers, why not for the milk producers? So, so let's, let, let's have that change. And what we will do, they're under a quota system. So you, you can buy a cow, but uh, you'll be able to pay for a quota for that car to be ca- cow to be able to sell the milk coming from that cow. And the quota can be around 20,000 bucks. So the price of that car at the end may be 25,000 bucks for one cow. So it's very expensive. And, and we, we will need to buy back this quota to end that cartel. And uh, that may, that will be a big cost on the government, but uh, we'll give them time to uh, be able to improve their productivity. And uh, maybe after a transition period of three to five years, we will open our borders and we'll have full competition. They will be able to export. So they did that in, in New Zealand and now they're exporting their milk. We can do the same thing here. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've ever had... Uh... New Zealand butter, you'll you'll understand why it's important to to get rid of some of these tariffs. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's it's good stuff. Seen... Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, um, so again, uh, you're gonna if you're gonna be in Calgary in May at our event, uh, you know, one of the topics in that's hot in Alberta right now, of course, is uh, you know, independence and um. And of course, Danielle Smith, her um, uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act, and you know, we're, there's a lot of pushback in, uh, you know, from the mainstream media and from the federal government um, on on Danielle Smith's um, thing. But e- even that, that is just kind of the, uh, you know, the kind of separatist movement in Alberta is is growing really fast. Um, now you've you've proposed in the past, and I believe this is still your position on, on like a yes. a decentralization uh, kind of scheme. Now, can can you speak about that a little bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. Our position is a radical decentralization. Why? Because if we're doing that, we will respect our constitution. Now, the federal government is not respecting the constitution; is interfering in provincial jurisdiction, and I understand why Albertans are fed up with that. And, and, and so what the federal government is giving is giving to my own province in Quebec more latitude, more autonomy, but not the same to other uh, provinces. It, it must be the same. So that's why if you do a radical decentralization, people in Alberta, if they want to have a case de dépôt like Quebec for their pension, they will be able to have that. If they want to have their own police force, they will be able to have that. Uh, 
if they want to have more private delivery in healthcare uh, for be for a system that would be more efficient when everybody will be under a universal coverage they will be able to have that so uh, and i understand that frustration but the problem now is the conservative party and pierre poliev pierre poliev is taking for granted your support people out west and in alberta uh, you know, his uh, candidates are winning by 60, 65% of the vote. So that's why he's not addressing uh, the Western alienation. And because if he's doing that, he may not be able to win more seats out East. And so that's not what he wants. So that's why we are the only one that are saying to only political party that are saying to Albertans, look at our platform, go on our website, peoplespartyofcanada.ca slash platform, and you'll see and read my speech about the radical decentralization. Alberta will be able to do what they want. We won't impose a carbon tax. Actually, we won't sign the Paris Accord. We will withdraw from the Paris Accord. Poliev won't do that. Poliev is in line with the Paris Accord and it will impose more regulations to businesses. Uh, and so th- that's why I understand people in Alberta who are frustrated. So if, uh, and I want to give you all the autonomy that you need. And that's why I, wh- when I look at the uh, Sovereignty Act coming from uh, Daniel Smith, I'm the only leader who said, yes, go ahead with that. That's what we are saying. You want to get rid of the federal government uh, 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 interfering in your own provincial jurisdictions. And I'm 100% for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoyed one her one statement that was uh, that, you know, that Justin Trudeau needs to understand that it's a it's a federal, he was running a federal government, not a national government. and. And it's really a shame that too many Canadians don't understand the difference, right? Uh, absolutely. You know, he's acting, and the conservative also, like we have, you know, uh, uh, not a federal government, but a republic. Uh, and that's not the case. Uh, you know, there's different culture. And that's why, you know, if you have that decentralization and you respect the Constitution, you won't have that separatist movement. And, you, you know, the culture in Quebec is very different than the culture in Alberta. And the culture in Cape Breton is very different than the culture downtown Toronto. So that's why if you have a smarter government in Ottawa that will respect provincial jurisdiction, and so you, you will have these different culture all across the country, and the provincial governments will be able to have legislation in line with what their population want. And and like that, you will save that country because with that centralization uh, and not respecting the constitution, you know, a day we can have a referendum in Alberta and they may win like another, uh, you know, we can have a referendum uh, uh, a day also in Quebec. So that's why we need to address that and to speak about Western alienation. But the liberals, the conservative, Poliev, <laughs> they they don't want they don't want because it will be hard to sell that to Ontario and Quebec. But I'm seeing the same thing in English and French, and I believe that people are intelligent and they must understand that if we have more central government uh, uh, interfering and spending money that we don't have, it will be bad for the economy. It will be bad for provincial jurisdiction. It will be bad for the future of our country. Yeah. So. 
would your opinion be on um, if we were to look at the separatist movement in Quebec? Um, would your opinion be that it has, um, you know, I know it hasn't gone away entirely, but it's it's definitely diminished in its in its scope over the past twenty years? And would that be an example of? You know, a, a success where where Ottawa has respected provincial dur- jurisdiction and has um, allowed them the autonomy and the authority uh, to to manage their own affairs without interfering too much. And these these days in Quebec, we don't speak a lot about separation, uh, but uh, I understand uh, Léger did a poll. I believe it was last week. And 32% of Quebecers were saying they're ready to separate. So our uh, leaders at the provincial level don't speak about that, except for the Parti Québécois. But the Parti Québécois uh, didn't do very well at the last election in Quebec. So, so, but the sentiment is still there because, you know, y- you always have a fight against the federal government. Now the fight that uh, Legault is having, it's about immigration. And, and, you know, he, he is fed up with the people t- crossing our border illegally at the Roxham Road. And now he's doing a little bit like DeSantis did in, in uh, Florida, taking these people and sending them north at Marta Vineyards uh, by plane. But what, uh, what uh, <laughs> Legault is doing is putting them in a, in a, in a bus and sending them uh, in Ontario. So now it's it's more a national problem. I, I think that was a good idea. But uh, Trudeau doesn't want to do anything there. He doesn't have the courage to say, let's put a, a, a fence over there and, and stop that. Actually, we did that during COVID-19. Trudeau said that road, the Roxham Road, it is closed right now. And you cannot cross our country. And we didn't have to renegotiate a treaty with the U.S., we just have to do the same thing. So there's still, you know, friction with the provincial government in Quebec and the federal one, and la- same thing in you know, in Alberta. So that's why let's yeah. the federal must be out of the way, uh, and provinces must be uh, more in control, like uh, our our founding fathers wanted uh, that in in our constitution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. If there's one more one more subject I want to to talk about, and uh, well, there's lots. I, I mean, I could talk to you, pick your brain for a long time, Max. But uh, the the last one I'm I really want to get your thoughts on is the whole Canada's involvement in the Russian Ukraine conflict. A- the anti-war s- sentiment used to be uh, a staple of the left, and that is completely, completely gone these days. And now, now being anti-war is a is we're accused of being far-right extremists if we're against war. <laughs> so, um, can you can you give us your thoughts on on the conflict and and Canada's involvement in it? Yeah, absolutely. You're right about saying the left, uh, you know, if you look at our history, uh, they were for peace and anti-war. Now you have the left and the center and the right, Polyev, warmongering and, and being saying that Russia 
is our enemy. And that's not the case. I'm not pro-Russia. I'm not pro-Ukraine. Uh, we need to have, a, we need to push for a ceasefire there. If you look at our history as a country, you know, I believe that Chrétien uh, took the right decision when he said we don't have to participate in the war in Iraq. Uh, Trudeau's father uh, did the right decision when he said we won't participate in the war in Vietnam. And, and Lester B. Person won the Nobel Prize for Peace with the with his position and at that time in the 1950s that was the crisis in the Suez Canal and Canada was there to put everybody at the same table and pushing for peace and negotiation you know that that's our history and now you have the right and the left being pro Ukraine and it's dangerous uh, you know I'm looking at the escalation of that conflict you know, they started by giving money. Now we're giving uh, tanks. And after that, they want to, uh, Ukraine uh, wants airplane. And so the escalation is very, very dangerous, knowing that Russia has the nuclear arm. And, and so they can, they can do, they can do a lot. So we need to stop that. And actually, we need to look when I'm saying we Western countries need to look at the history. When Kennedy was president in 1962, he said to Khrushchev, you know, I don't want you to have a base and missiles in Cuba at my doors. And that was a big conflict. And Khrushchev said, okay, we won't do that. But and actually, in 2007, uh, Putin was in Munich at the security conference, and he said to the West, I don't want NATO to be at my doors. And now we are pushing Ukraine to be part of NATO. And if Ukraine is part of NATO, they, we will have NATO base in Ukraine with missiles and at the doors of, uh, of Russia. Why it, for us, uh, you know, it was not okay for Khrushchev to have missiles in Cuba, but for Russia, they must tolerate that. You know, no, it's dangerous. And, and that expansion of NATO must stop. So it's not a war. And we are broken as a country. Why sending money that we don't have? And our Canadian forces didn't have the right equipment. And we are giving our equipments to Ukraine. Um, and I believe that we are doing that because uh, there's a lot of uh, Ukraine, uh, Canadian Ukraine descent here in our country, more than one million. And they're concentrated in some, uh, in some writings. And the liberals and the conservatives are doing uh, a foreign policy for uh, internal policy to be able to win these writings. So it is not in our national interest to have Russia as our enemy. Russia is our neighbor, uh, neighbor, uh, northern neighbors. So uh, like the U.S., uh, let, let's stop that and put everybody around the same table. We need to have a ceasefire. But you're right, that position is not popular. When I said that in the beginning of the conflict, they were saying, oh, Bernie is pro-Putin. No, I understand that Putin is a dictator, a murderer, but also I understand that we don't have any. There's a lot of wars right now on this planet, and we are not part of that. So that's. I think that's... A, a position that is in line with our history and that is in line also with our budget uh, and that is in line with our security interest. Uh, and I will always speak for that. So, uh, but now we have more people. I saw a poll 
coming from uh, Angus Reid a couple of weeks ago. And they were saying that 23% of Canadians are saying that Ukraine and Russia must negotiate peace. And 17% of them were saying, it's not our war. We are doing too much for Ukraine. So it's very good because knowing that the only narrative that you have in mainstream media, it's pro-Ukraine. And you don't listen the other point of view, our point of view. And, and, and they did a poll and you have 23% that are saying, let's try to have a ceasefire. So imagine if our point of view can be out there in the mainstream media. Uh, so that's why I will always fight for peace in line with our values and in line with our security interest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it seems to me that if anybody was actually worried about the people in Ukraine, they would be uh, they would be advocating for some sort of peaceful settlement instead of sending them weapons because all that's going to happen is they're going to keep they're going to keep fighting and more of them are going to die you know that's it they're on both sides yeah. and you're absolutely right yeah yeah anyway max uh this this was great thanks for coming on we always enjoy it um looking forward to seeing you in may and uh best of luck with everything Thank you, Darcy. I appreciate that. And yes, we'll have a nice conference. And I invite everybody at that conference. Where can we have the details uh, on the conference? On on your website? Or? Yeah, the website. Uh, it is uh, capitalismandmorality.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you, Darcy. And I'll see you over there. That was Maxime Bernier, leader of the People's Party of Canada. You can find them at peoplespartyofcanada.ca. And if you like the Darcy Drill podcast, subscribe on Substack.